0: Today on the Marshall Pro Podcast, we have your week in sports cars, listener Q&A driven show, my brother on the other end of the line, Graham Goodwin of dailysportscar.com. How are you this Saturday morning here in California and Saturday early evening in the UK?
1: it's great here thanks very much indeed we've had a couple of blisteringly hot days here on the outskirts of london capital of the uk of course uh but uh, followed on by some storms it's very windy out there at the moment it's still pretty uh, pretty warm though and uh, i can tell you that i'm joined here actually not in uh, gghq at the bottom of the garden but actually in the house better wi five
0: at the moment you ju- and, uh, just uh, just as you were saying guest, better wi-fi uh, you dropped out it was just as you were saying, better Wi-Fi, you dropped out. No joke, and I'm leaving it in. That's the best. That
1: is brilliant, isn't it? That is just just great. But, uh, no, joined, as I say, by a uh, special guest this week, Oscar the Husky.
0: Well, hey, Oscar. Rocky genuinely just walked across our de- my desk, our cat Rocky. Didn't put his butt in my face this time, but we have the full MP and GG animal follow along. We were just about... To do the intro, dear listener, when I got a call from my brother-in-law saying that uh, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, 90 years old in a nursing home, yay, tested positive for COVID-19. So my head's all over the place right now, but we have a need to get the show done. So we're going to do that. Um, (laughs) I'm filing a protest. Uh, I don't know if Eduardo Freitas is listening or Bo Barfield. But I'm officially, I'm filing an official protest against 2020. Uh, I fired it last week, I believe, but uh, still further actions are needed. This is <sighs> 2020 is the Grand Am of years, <laughs> right? If <laughs> if we had to pick a garbage sports car series to attach to the most garbage of years, it would be Grand Am, and now that I know there's an out of context the weekend sports cars Twitter handle, um, maybe we got one for this week already. Uh, where do we start, man? I don't even know. Why don't we do this? Because you do it with such talent and love in your voice. We need to not only say thank you to our listeners who fuel this show with far more questions that we can get you every week. We need to say thank you, Graham to four partners that make the show possible. I lost you got you. me? I got you, you got back. Me? I mean, we're just winning. We're just winning. So,
1: just right, winning. so let's uh, uh, so I'll start again with that. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to say thank you to Cooper Tires. Remember Cooper Tires, the only tires with the word Cooper written on the side. Uh, thanks too to the Justice Brothers, fabulous fabulous people, big part of what Marshall has been doing with the Marshall Pruitt podcast, to Bell Helmets USA of course, and to TorontoMotorsports.com.
0: There, see, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Well, you are the official selector of the weekend in Sports Cars, a.k.a. Twisk. Which category of the many should we start with, Mr. Goodwin?
1: Let's go in a week where there's been no shortage of news, it has to be said from your side of the pond, uh, to IMSA. Now, I don't know if you want to start by wrapping up a couple of the storylines from this week or just go straight into questions, but boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, there's been some uh, some ups and downs for, particularly, it seems to me, Marshall, the uh, the world of GTD in IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship.
0: Oh, it's been all over the place. Yeah, and I saw a late question come in from our man Ryan Terpstra about uh, Bia Figueroa as well, who raced most recently with The uh, Jackie Heinricher and Michael Shank all female program in 2019. Uh, Lord, where should we start in GTD? Uh, Still, there's
1: been been some ups ups and downs, haven't there, in terms of Sprint Cup entries. I mean, lost a couple, gained one. Um, You know, uh, similar kind of toing and froing with the AVS Lexus crew. Lost a driver, gained a driver. uh, by the way, I should say, not aimed at IMSA. We've got a lot of this coming. A lot of this still to come, uh, beginning to unpick the um, Gordian knot that is what's going to happen in ACO rules racing at the moment, with teams falling by the wayside. But this week, it's it has been the t- bit of the GT3-based uh, GTD formula to grab the headlines on just about every day of the week. I think.
0: Yeah, it sure feels like that. So the. AIM Vassar Sullivan change with Parker Chase leaving and moving over to Brian Herda Auto Autosports Michelin Pilot Challenge Hyundai effort. Uh, that's been in the works for quite a while. Uh, I was made aware of that change, uh, the leaving the AVS Lexus effort, I'm guessing two months ago, maybe two and a half, if not three quite a while ago, Um, and so happy that Parker has landed in a place where I think that is going to do him a lot of good. Not as if being in the Lexus team would not have been a good thing, but I do believe that at his age, uh, being in Brian Herda's pipeline, knowing how professorial Brian happens to be and how much of a family-type effort that is, It really does seem to me to be a great fit for Parker, even though, admittedly, before he moved over to IMSA, he had done a lot of miles, a lot of time, had a lot of success in World Challenge and their GT4-based content. So, stepping into a Hyundai Veloster and TCR, bit of a wash, Graham, if we're talking vehicular movement. But I think the, the team is where Parker is going to really uh, get to immerse himself in that culture and grow in really, really valuable ways. And if we add another thing, future-based, where we strongly believe Hyundai could be doing bigger things, be it GT3 or more, this could be the start of a good relationship that lasts a good long while. Uh, Filling his vacant seat at AVS, A.A. Ron Aaron Tealitz, a kid that I just love, 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 huge personality, huge talent, someone who should be a full-time IndyCar driver right now, not given the opportunities there. So here he is with his first full-time professional gig. Uh, and I think he's going to do very, very well. He, Funnily enough, as I've told my old pal Jimmy Vassar, who's a co-owner of that team, Aaron reminds me of a young Jimmy Vassar. And so I just think it's there's some beautiful symmetry here. He's been in the team for a year, year and a half in a bit of a part-time as needed role, endurance only role. Now getting to be there full-time and really soak in uh, and make the most out of it, I think that's going to be great for him. Uh, the Paul Miller Racing Team wrote about that, I think, a little over a week ago. Uh, they're going to be standing down for a little bit. Uh, I know that when I called Mr. Miller to get some insight on how long uh, he did not return that call, which is not totally unexpected. You never know exactly what you're going to get from Mr. Miller. I believe he did have a statement or something that came out a couple of days after my story went up saying that they were going to take at least the next two races off and could be back, should be back after that. So hope that's the case. What else? The gear grasser thing, been trying to stay on top of that, Graham, and Mm -hmm. I I know of no resolution there, so um, I would not anticipate anything super happy or positive going down there. We know that with Wright Motorsports having two full-time Porsche GTD entries, they announced, what was it, uh, 10 days ago or so, they would be dropping down to one. Um, this is the, the canary in the coal mine class in IMSA, the, the pro-am one that gives us the, the true bill of health. And I think what the number is 12 entries for, yep. uh, next a week from today, Saturday's July 4th race at Daytona international speedway. 12 cars is not a low number or a bad number by any means. Boy, really would feel a lot better, though, if we're talking 15 to 16. But my main takeaway, if now three plus months into COVID-19, the shutdowns, the financial wreckage that has happened, all the calendar adjustments, all the things that would destabilize the pro-am, like I said, the the real health test class in IMSA, the fact that we've we're staring at 12 entries instead of six to eight, I think that's actually a very significant positive because we know it could be so much worse. Yeah, I
1: completely agree. I mean, uh, we I think we mentioned briefly last week, at least one European series that I'm tracking um, with some profile uh, that I am absolutely aware has lost something like half of its entry for its back to racing uh, plans there are others not losing that kind of level of pro- and proportion but certainly significant numbers of entries that we're looking they're struggling to actually get to the off it's something we're going to have to get used to for the remainder of this year is teams whose plans will not come to, uh, to fruition and then we just have to uh, wait and see just what it is that the organising bodies, the powers that be, we mention all the time on the weekend sports cars, can do to help to reduce the financial pressures on, let's not uh, let's not forget, their customers, uh, to maximise what we can get on the grid for 2021, which, as we've discussed, you and I more than once, MP, we're both expecting that might be even more pressured than where we are right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, shall we kick off with some... Formal questiones from yeah, the we category. Well,
1: we're going to kick off. It does again have a little bit of uh, – I'm going to put uh, put this – the contemporary about it. Uh, a couple of questions, one from Jonathan Wu and the other one from Dinesh Ramasar. all to do with what's the situation at Mazda now? Mazda and was planned to pass after Sebring. Now Sebring was moved at the end of the season. Are they still working together at the 4th of July weekend? Uh, for Daytona. Uh, Dinesh asks, is there any word if US Racing has secured or is in the process of securing uh, a manufacturer to continue their racing efforts? Not in the States, I think, for certain. Uh, What know
0: you, Mr. Pete? Well, I do know that I'm staring at a post-it note I made before we started recording with a call Nelson note, and that's because I'm (laughs) due to speak with newish Mazda Motorsports director Nelson Cosgrove put together a story for probably Monday, on this very topic who knows depending on the length of the conversation might even be worth a little catching up with podcast episode true indeed there was the contractual obligation for Mazda Motorsports and Team Yost to work together at Sebring in its original mid-March date and that was for one reason And this is where, why we will not have Yost involved when the team goes racing next weekend at Daytona. And it's that there was a, I believe it was a six month kicker in the contract. As I've heard, Graham, I've heard that there was a six month kicker in the contract that at Whatever point in time, if and when Mazda were to say, "Hey, Rocky is now wanting to climb crawl on my chest by the way and lay down hey buddy he's now grooming the back of the microphone if you hear any funny sounds um, at any point in time, if Mazda Motorsports were to officially inform Team Yoast that they wanted to sever their relationship and cease their uh, cease All things going forward, there was a six-month kicker that obligated both parties to wind down over a six-month span from whatever that date was of the formal uh, declaration. You know, probably by letter and whatnot. uh, Could be by email. However, it took place. Once Mazda informed Yoast, "Hey, we don't want to do this with you anymore," there started a clock. Uh, that would last six months while both sides were formally obligated to continue working together. It's uh, It'd be a smart thing, and I would say, Graham, uh, I would say that there are similar clauses of varying length uh, in most arrangements between a manufacturer and a service provider, and it's all for the service provider's yep. health. What you don't want is a manufacturer to say, hey, um, we're done, whether with you and we're going somewhere else or we're just getting out of racing altogether. As a service provider, you certainly want to give yourself some time so you aren't face-planting <laughs> uh, financially or otherwise. And so that's the reason why there was the obligation, even though Yoast had been informed, I believe, mid-September is what I heard, there was a contractual obligation for Yost to run the team for a period of six months following, which covered, uh, I believe it was just by a day or two, uh, covered the original slot, Graham, for the Mobile One Twelve hours of Sebring. By chance, uh, I would say, if, if Mazda were to have initiated this just a couple days earlier than they did, they would not have had the need to do that well regardless of whether sebring was held in its original date or not the contract didn't say but it'll continue past six months if there's a pandemic or anything else and so that comes back to why when mazda motorsports hits the track here in six or seven days our pals at multimatic who are not included in the team name will be running the program from top to bottom. Uh, all aspects of Yoast have been removed. And although, again, Yoast was unable to run the team in the final race planned, fact is, after that date on the calendar, there's no longer an obligation. And here we have Multimatic, which was already a very significant aspect of running the team. Uh, took over the engineering of the whole program, inserted a number of crew members and mechanics as well. The um, multi-matification of Mazda Team Yost had already been well underway. And admittedly, and this is not trying to speak ill of Yost just for the sake of it, we know for a fact that... The Yoast that was hired was hired on reputation coming off of the Audi Lama program, and pretty quickly, Graham pretty quickly into this relationship, we started hearing a lot of things on background, you and I, and I'm sure others about oh this this ain't the yoast we thought we were getting, and so the result all done quietly, not through press releases or you know, any real public effort to divulge, but year by year, Mazda added more and more Multimatic presence. You could really and bluntly say took more responsibility away from Yoast and hired more staff and more time for Multimatic to fill in the areas that they felt were lacking. And so by the end of, frankly, by the start of 2019, this was a very lightly run Yoast program. Uh, you could say that you know, really and truly they were certainly part of the re- part of the success. Cannot discount that and take nothing away from them when they went on and won those three races. Um, took the pole uh, at Daytona, set a new record there. Were so quick in January as well. Had a really solid, solid finish. Something they were so happy about at the Rolex 24-gram but admittedly, the blueprint uh, had changed drastically. There'd also almost been a, a formatting of the hard drive. And uh, you, what you were seeing was, by and large, Multimatic's uh, overall imprint on the program as it's uh, continued to move forward. So when we get to Daytona and it's all Multimatic, I don't anticipate it looking or operating vastly different than we've seen uh, over the past year
1: am i right there there is one other difference which is am i correct or am i misremembering the mp that the two rt24ps will be new chassis for the back to racing
0: i don't know I seem- I seem
1: to recall that being the case, but uh, I'm sure, if not, that I'll get a very sweary call indeed from uh, Larry Holt. There are no other co- sorts of calls from Larry Holt in the, in the nicest possible way. But um, it's something we adore him for. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a new, but uh, not dramatically different era. I Let's will, move on to GT... Uh, sorry, I'll
0: ask Nelson Cosgrove when we speak to him after uh, we're done with the show.
1: I have a feeling that might be correct. But, hey, things may have changed, of course, with kind of logistical challenges, but I think that was the case. Let's move on to GTLM. Two, two questions. Again, another one from uh, Dimash Ramasar, but also a question from Brandon Bird. Brandon says, all of the GTLM cars would have outqualified the last-gen 2009 GT1 Corvettes by at least a second at Sebring. Is this due to general improvements in aero, tyres, or air efficiency, or the rules being more open? Surely this speed is causing the cost to kill off the class, just like GT1 twice. In fact, GT1 three times was killed. Um, how far back do we have to go under the GTLM rules, We're all New, rather than the evolution to the previous generation of GT rules. Um, Dinesh, by the way, adds if GTLM does end up biting the dust, will Corvette Racing be uh, willing to run the C8R as a GTD, GT3, running in D H as a potential replacement for Cadillac, or run in both like Acura?
0: Good lord, Dinesh, uh, the That's answer a lot is of stuff. the answer is yes. <laughs> Next question, please. Uh, okay, let's see, um, Brandon as well. Thank you. So by two thousand nine, as I recall, uh, we had G- when,
1: did, when did they resurface mo- uh, much of that track? They didn't do the bumpy bits. I know that. No, I, th- um,
0: I think it might have been after, but my brain's farting. I don't honestly know. Well,
1: um, to, to, to give it, to give a, a kind of before you get into this one, to give it a kind of uh, just a resurface of a, of a track into Lagos. Uh, the last time we went there with the fiwec the increase sorry the uh the 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 improvement in lap time post that track being resurfaced for the gt e-pro therefore gtlm cars put them there and thereabouts on the pace for the last iteration of gt1 cars in about when would that have been 2009 we had a intercontinental le mans uh, challenge race uh, uh, a uh, Le Mans series race at Interlagos, and GT, GTE Pro cars were roughly to the the, uh, the pace of the GT one cars as a result of okay progress, but resurfacing tire technology certainly has a lot to play about it. But I'm trying to think; I'm struggling to think about anything else.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not totally sure on the timeline there in terms of the resurfacing. And what Brandon. I mean the. The easier general or, or answer would be, GT1 was certainly something that contained more horsepower than what we have today, what is allowed in GTLM, but probably not by massive amounts. When I think of the GT1era vehicles in general, mostly of the Aston Martin and Corvette variety. These are cars that were very quick in the corners, not saying that they weren't, but there was just more of a dragster appeal to them. With what we have today in GTLM, yeah, they're not going to be breaking any straight-line speed records, but these are vehicles that are so fast and efficient in every category in ways that, as my mind tells me, GT1 era cars just were not. So whether it is acceleration, cornering, braking, the electronics uh, could be gearbox actuation, the speed of shifting and downshifting and such. Uh, just so many things where I think of today's cars and they are so. Just call them perfect. <laughs> really, mm-hmm. truly. Every area has been so heavily optimized that over a single lap, sure. uh, Again, I would not expect um, the modern GTLM cars to necessarily hit the top speeds of a GT1 Corvette. But I would say if you add up all the other areas where the GTLM cars do not surrender time where GT1 vehicles did, that's where you get... A uh, pretty significant march forward in speed. Plus, you throw in ten, twelve years of Michelin tire development, knowing that in GTLM, uh, these are custom tires for the class and the individual vehicles. You know, it's just a, a very different era, despite being, you know, a little bit lesser if we're talking in, in raw brutality. So, uh, as for how far back um, on the GTLM rules and yes. so I do so I really don't? Know. I think
1: I think I think it's about I think it's I think it's late nineties uh, because it's been an evolution of them. We came through all sorts of uh, different names for those classes, whether or not it's North America or uh, across the world, or just in Europe, whether it's NGT, GT two, etc. It all came from that. Now that that class first made its appearance at Le Mans in its current form in the kind of late nineties. Um. And it's really been an evolution of those rules since then. And it's that combination of two fit things, isn't it? Let's put down a marker for a class, as they did, for instance, with GT3, and you can build a car to fit those those rules. Or it's, here's a set of rules. If you've got a car that fits it, we'll welcome that car. Um, I, I think we're talking late 90s, so you've got a set of rules here that's been evolving for well over two decades. Uh, with others kind of coming and crowding around in the meantime, but certainly no, there's not really been a clean sheet rule book for that class for I think since the since the late mid late nineties.
0: Interesting, uh, Dinesh, your question uh, about GTLM if it were to bite the dust, uh, Corvette C- C8 R possibly doing a GT3 slash GTD version. Can't speak for them, although I'd love to. My guess would be, which, Graham, you and I spoke about this last week. We did. There's just a strong belief that I have, Dinesh, that as we enter deeper into this recession and as manufacturers who race are expected to be under tighter restrictions on what they can or can't do, Uh, from their board members, their marketing departments, R&D and such. My firm belief is we could very well find ourselves in a short amount of time with pretty much a global approach to GT racing among manufacturers that doing bespoke GTLM style racing. We build two cars, we run them ourselves, we spend a lot of money. It's pure marketing, nothing else. I don't know if those are going to stand up in this current post, however long it happens to be COVID-19 global downturn in economy in sales and so on. My guess, which again, just reiterating what we discussed last week in situations where we say, aha, Corvette's only doing C8Rs in factory-based GT racing. If they're going to continue, whether GTLM remains healthy or not, or GTE, I just have to believe the, the folks who make the decisions and say, yes, you can have money, it's millions of dollars to go racing, to promote something. Got to believe there's going to be new calls to say, and you need to sell them. We need If you're going to do this, it can't be 100% cash output with nothing coming back if you want to justify this then maybe you need to consider a class or a structure if we are to have gtd pro and gtd am which we think might be a thing in the future uh, we're going to have to look at you i don't want to say mass producing c8 r's or i know for g ford is out with a gt but four gts or run down all the list. Uh, you're going to have to actually manufacture and sell these cars as well to help offset the budget request. And in the case, Graham, of Ferrari and Porsche, for example, they already have perfect GT3 models. Sell a lot of them. They're all over the world. It's an easy thing to do. Not as if we want to see the 911 RSR go away, period, or the 488 gte go away but the reality is they have 488 gt3s and 911 gt3rs that can very easily stand up in a pro pro class and the existing pro am so i do believe dinesh i think it would be strange if uh, not too many years from now we see the corvettes of the world and the fords of the world who once played in factory only were not really selling customer versions uh, to the masses. I know that uh, Ben Keating bought one for GT, but again, just the overall approach was never to mass produce or sell enough to offset uh, and minimize the impact to the corporate budget. I think that's going to have to change. I think that might be a box that needs to get ticked for programs like a C eight R or similar to continue. So tell us how this adventure, which we believe in, Graham, is going to be worthy at the lowest possible dollar amount, and what's a way to help that initiative? Yep. Sell them.
1: It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, we've talked. Uh, I'm going to come on to talk about uh, LMDH shortly. We've talked about the potential for to be. Some good news for LMDH in that it could be that uh, manufacturer customer support departments see the opportunity for customer sales for those cars and customer support for those cars and therefore moving from a cost centre for the business to a profit centre for the business. Let's move on to a couple of bits and pieces about getting back to racing. We're going to go with serial questioner, Daniel Summerskill. He's got, I think, Daniel, you know, a... uh, potential career with uh, the security services. A very good interrogator. Just question after question after question. <laughs> Will the travel restrictions imposed for traveling to the USA from Europe, and vice versa, result in drivers who are so IMSA being unable to compete at Mon in September? Will they need to sacrifice one for the other?
0: Boy, looking at the very recent and prescient news of how folks... Here in America are not really being viewed in your Europe, Graham, as people who have been smart in responding to COVID-19. We know, as told during a conference call with the Corvette racing team earlier this week, that uh, some of our pals there, Ollie Gavin being one of them, Tony Garcia and such, have been in the States quarantining for two weeks leading up to the 4th of July IMSA race. So there's already the policy in hand here, Daniel, uh, for folks coming here. We've seen it work. That's great. Uh, the finer point Le Mans September. Yeah. Uh, based on the news coming out of the EU Graham, It sure looks like folks coming from the U.S. wanting to do such a thing aren't trusted, being trusted uh, and therefore might not be allowed. So I'm probably just overstating the obvious here, Daniel. But yeah, it would appear at the moment, although we continue to set daily all-time records, what I think the last three days in a row, four days here in America, all-time records, in COVID-19 cases, um, I can't tell you if the exception, the travel exception that was given, what was that, a couple weeks ago, a month ago or so uh, by the Department of Homeland Security to allow athletes, drivers uh, from Europe uh, and I believe most international destinations to come into the country as Ollie has done and, and others have done. I can't tell you, Daniel, whether that's going to remain. I think that's going to be based very much on what we learn about the virus itself and whether it continues mm-hmm. to grow, where it continues to grow, etc. cetera. And knowing that we're a hotbed here might scare some international drivers from wanting to come here. Uh, nonetheless, it's also the same thing in reverse as you mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, while we're not talking a crazy number, Graham, of Americans and or U.S.-based personnel of whatever origin heading to Lamont compared to the overall amount of people competing there, realize it's a drop in the old bucket, but still, yeah, this could be a thing where, oh, so you have an entry, you had paid for a seat, you were planning to go, planning to run, planning to do whatever. You might not be doing that because... We have been checked by the EU as being irresponsible with our reaction to this pandemic and are not trusted to come over. So again, we're talking here late June. What might change before we get to September? Hard to tell whether it is more restrictions or fewer restrictions. But I would say anybody that has booked travel as we... Mention seemingly on a weekly basis, Graham. Man, I hope you got that refundable flight, that refundable hotel, and whatever it might be, heading <laughs> yep, in I either think, yeah, direction. Because yep, uh, if you're not doing that, then you're just throwing money away probably.
1: I think the, the, you know, there's wider things too. You're quite right. It's that, uh, the, there's, it, Working in both directions at the moment, prospects for people coming from North America to Europe look – Pretty dicey, really. Uh, I worry about uh, the multiple programmes for someone like Harry tinkle for instance. Now, Bob, before we move on, congratulations to Harry. Uh, confirmed, he's got a multi-year multimatic contract, uh, which is great news for his uh, his career. But Harry uh, has three separate programmes this year: uh, Carlin in LMP2 in the European Mon Series in the Delora LMP2 car. Uh, Master, of course, in impetus, full series uh, in the DPI, and with Aston Martin racing at Le Mans. Um, he's got some real troubles with uh, with those travel restrictions. I'm sure that's giving him some sleepless nights. It's giving also some sleepless nights that are trying to kind of put together even a European programme here. Uh, and the shifting sands of advice and regulations do change by, sometimes by the day, sometimes by the week, trying to actually put together any kind of commercial enterprise around that on an intercontinental fashion what a nightmare um it's just dealing with getting to and from mainland europe at the moment from the uh perspective of this uk-based uh but you know uh for the next few months at least you know, operating across europe journalist come broadcaster is not the work of a moment trying to balance a career that covers several continents right now that is the stuff of absolute nightmares Let's move on. So thank you for that one, Daniel. Real good question. Um, right, turn lover, another of our regulars. Hello, my friend. Uh, what would you expect IMSA to do, Marshall, if only two of the current three DPI manufacturers would be ready for LMDH introduction in 2022 and with no additional ones? Would you delay or would they grandfather the third manufacturer? That's going to be a tough call to grandfather a DPI against LMDH.
0: Indeed. I believe that much like their, I was going to see friends, uh, much like their, the ongoing love, hate relationship with the WEC, uh, they're going to have to take the temperature of the room and look and see what's coming. I mean, the reality is IMSA cannot afford. And I mean that from a financial standpoint, they cannot afford to be belligerent. We announced 2022. Screw everything else. Who? Oh, pandemic my ass. We're doing it no matter what. That's the last thing they can afford to do. Yep. If, as a result of the good old financial decline that we're facing, the dozen-plus manufacturers who have been expressing interest are telling them hey we love it we still want to do it just the timing's off uh, we can't be announcing new expensive major high profile racing programs while you know potentially we still have a lot of folks laid off out of work unions labor unions screaming at us shutting down plants possibly I mean, we can't <laughs> we can't do the really ridiculous thing and say hey yeah all that stuff sure oh, we're going to go racing with something new and shiny. That's just what they're going to have to do, and it's not limited to IMSA. That's uh, any racing series that has announced a formula change, a something new that, is menu, that has manufacturer involvement and is going to cost millions upon millions. Any racing series that has announced such things is going to have to take the temperature of the room. And if those manufacturers are coming back saying, hey, yeah, times are tight, but we're still committed and able to do it in 2022 in this case, then you hold tight and go forward. But what can't happen and what I do not believe so will do, right turn lever, is blindly hold to a previously announced date and wait and see and hope who might show up. This is going to have to be a case of buy-in in in order to go forward. Really, truly simple. We are going to do this. We are going to have a new formula, but we are only going to have this when the manufacturers who would make it happen tell us they will be here to do it. Any intent to just press forward and hope and see who shows up, that's where IMSA crashes as a championship. So, can't yep. believe that's what they do.
1: Yeah, Jacob Boehm actually follows up on this one, saying how likely are the privateer um, IMSA prototype teams to succeed in postponing LMDH's rollout to 2023? And if it does get delayed, should they expect a knock on effect on the planned WC debut in 2022? So I guess that depends on what programs are ready, does it not? There is, there is the possibility. I have to say, not when I considered until Jacob's question that one series could go in twenty-two and the other one would wait to twenty-three, depending on who steps up.
0: This is certainly a, a less acknowledged fear, Jacob. It is of the how many privateers do we currently have in DPI? Well, technically. We could say on the Cadillac side they're all privateers. We know that to varying degrees, Cadillac slash General Motors GM Racing definitely has an involvement with some of the teams. There are straight, pure, nothing other than factory efforts from Acura and Mazda. The Cadillac side, you know, really I would say the JDC Miller Motorsports team. Is the only one that I would say is hundred percent un you know true privateer true independent, and we know that they are fighting like mad to come up with a budget to keep moving forward without any limitations, so I just mentioned this, Jacob, because we're talking about d p i s which in comparison to an LMDH is a relatively simple machine. And if we are not truly able to say that privateers are comfortably in the budget securing position that they want to be to continue in DPI, I think there's a real concern here about is there a privateer future for LMDH? We know that the Ashken Express team, championship winning team, Graham, a fine and proud member of the Cadillac DPI family. We know that there are concerns, as we've spoken about for a while now, whether they're going to continue beyond this season. We're a two car team at the end of 2019, now a one car team, and they're no longer benefiting from the direct finances from IMSA founder Jim France. So they are reliant upon Sonny Whelan, Whelan Engineering. Fantastic. But there's a real concern here, Jacob, as to whether privateers will have a place in the top prototype category whenever LMDH does happen, simply because uh, of the very few that are currently in the top level. We know that uh, one or two of them are on the financial, at a financial tipping point. And with costs only expected to go up with LMDH, that might be the thing that filters them out altogether. So I don't know what that would mean. I don't know if that's go back, go to LMP2 or goodbye altogether. I don't know. But yeah, costs right now, really, I think we're going to be talking manufacturer only. Uh, LMDH playing when we get there.
1: I think it's time to move on from Emso uh, for the moment, at least. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we we could pop back there if we get the uh, the chance. But, no, uh,
0: no, we've got any, about any forty-five for minutes left, my friends. So uh, okay. you tell me where well, we're going.
1: Let's go, let's go to Wekaslam's Elmzaka. Before we go there, just remember we didn't get to it. Send it again. We will get to it uh, if we possibly, possibly can, as long as it's not too offensive personally to other Marshall or indeed Marshall.
0: Ah, no, the more offensive the better. I had some wingnut uh, calling for me to be uh, fired yesterday uh, for writing. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Woke Wheels, a guy was from Brazil. It, it
1: wasn't Paul Fennel, was it?
0: Well, he did actually tag Paul and ask him to fire me because – this is a crazy thing, Graham. I'm 49 years old, and I've made it to 49 without I've never been accused of being sexist or racist. This guy ticked both boxes in one Instagram wow. post. Yeah, so hey, I'm in that club now. I feel pr- I got to get wow. a new hat or something. So yeah, so pretty cool. <laughs> sexist, racist. I'm ist ist. That's what I am. Uh, we're gonna go.
1: It's yeah, always, always the always the thing that occurs to me the first when I when I first met you, and was every, every day since those. Th- I things are always honestly applied to you, my friend. It's
0: pretty pretty Not. easy to spot. I don't do a good enough job of hiding. Uh, let's <laughs> see. Let's go with a first question from our pal SRA Smoking Puppy Eight Forty One. Definitely need more letters in that name, by the way. Uh, it's probably impossible now, but with hindsight, Graham, would it have made sense to reintroduce the performance caps for LM? p h says hashtag me personally it would have ensured at least some cars were on equal footing and lmdh entries could either meet those limits or be bop'd around them
1: complex question uh comes from the rather troubled genesis and development of the le mans uh hypercar regulations through uh, it's just several iterations and, and you know i, I guess when you're struggling for a foothold, the temptation is to move to meet someone coming the other way that might want to be persuaded into the fold. And unfortunately, in this instance, the uh, the moves that had to be made to accommodate the Aston Martin Valkyrie program, the now dead Aston Martin Valkyrie program, um, did have a significant impact on not the regulations but also the plans of the two privateer uh entries i say privateer one is by collis the other one is uh, the click house both of which plan to build uh, road car versions by Glicken
0: house so, th- that's a new name
1: yeah absolutely i think that that uh, that boat has sailed i think it's, it's it is certainly i think absolutely fair to say that it would have made life easier when l m d h came sailing along to reinvade that uh territory and give us a brave new hope, uh, but that boat has sailed it it It, it comes down to what i 've always believed m p which is a set of regulations the ideal number of manufacturers to have for any set of regulations is three, not six, not ten, certainly not two it's three. Why? because one of the three can 't blackmail the organizers on withdrawal, because they'll still have two. If it's two, you're left with one. If it's more than three, then you tend to get the general infighting that comes with it. So we'll have some fun and games with that if we get anything close to what we're expecting um, from LMDH to come. But yes, it's a shame that it became pretty cluttered in the lead up to that extraordinary announcement in what well, seems like years ago now, but it was January at Daytona
0: of convergence. All right, let's pick up with Jeffrey Van Ketteridge here, he says, Hey, guys, there are some signals with the latest from Bentley suggesting that GTE as we know it is going to fall and GT3 should be the top class sports car racing worldwide. Uh, let's see. What's your opinion about this? Uh, should also, Jeffrey, it's okay Bentley, to... Uh, 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 yes, Graham.
1: Sorry, apologies. I uh, got a bit of cut out there.
0: Is there a the bird in the is, background, by the way?
1: Uh, it's a crow. It's a crow on the roof here. We've oh. got a crow that's has uh, been very territorial. Um, uh, I don't think it's eating crow. It's just a crow. Uh, it's not particularly difficult to predict that, that would be Bentley's point of view, that they'd like to see GT3 at Le Mans, uh, because got a GT3 and they don't have a GTLM and then of course they'd like to go to Le Mans and they'd like to offer that opportunity to their customers. I think we could probably anticipate the same might be true of, oh, I don't know, let's say McLaren or um, let's think Acura, uh, Honda, they might be quite keen on it as well. Uh, not being sarcastic here, but the reality is that there is clearly an opportunity right now to position the debate and brands that have, uh, can see the opportunity to do what they'd like to do, which is to encourage their well-resourced uh, customers to use even more of that resource uh, in another championship, it would be a smart thing to do. Do I think it's coming? I think some form of it inevitably probably probably is coming anyway. Um, but I don't really see a massive contribution coming from, um, you know, uh, to the debate being that Paul Williams at um, Bentley, uh, believes that that's inevitable and should be the case, simply because it's a blindingly obvious statement right now. GTLM is struggling for numbers. It's struggling certainly for the variety of those numbers. It's struggling in particular for the factory backing that the that those numbers require to keep it alive. So do I think it's coming? Yes. How might it come? It's going to be interesting to see, I, I think, MP, whether or not the first stages towards that come on your side of the pond or mine but do i think it's coming i absolutely do and my guess is it might come from your side of the pond first
0: well you and that crow can stuff it as far as i'm concerned <laughs> uh jeffrey thank you for the question by the way he also <laughs> says greetings from the netherlands and forza racing team Nederland. uh matt anderson my favorite matt with one t in his name Throws in one here. It's a little bit of a read, but, you know, we ask for rants. We ask, to, we're not just looking for no. questions, but questions, rants, long submissions. We love them all. Matt says, with reductions, Graham, and grids, and GTLM, and IMSA, and various other programs across WEC and other national series, do you foresee a possibility of the WC reverting back to a format similar to the old Intercontinental Le Mans Cup? where the World Championship races were held within existing races. They ran with the 12 Hours of Sebring, Petit Le Mans, and since that time, Daytona has come back into the IMSA fold. They could then add other major races and locations, from European Le Mans Series, Asian Le Mans Series, etc., instead of holding standalone WEC races. Matt goes on to say, this would at least boost grid sizes, especially in the GTE, GTLM area that need them, bring some high-profile events back to the World Championship stage, like how it was back in the 60s and 70s, this would seem like a reasonable stopgap measure for the short term until the next technical regulations for GT come out and grids are stabilized once again. I'm just going to reiterate what I say almost every episode. Matt Anderson... A practitioner of fine submissions to the weekend sports cars. Always appreciate the mm. thought that you put it's, into this um, stuff. I wish we, I wish we match the quality of your questions with the quality of our answers, Matt. But we don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I think Matt, I think it's a great call, and as you might imagine, in the little community we have. In um, endurance racing, uh, both journalistically and with the people in the industry we communicate with, Marshall and I and others have long conversations with people talking about exactly this sort of thing. And I have to tell you that you're not the first person to come forward with that as a potential suggestion in one way, shape or form. I think it's going to come down to the signs that are emerging or otherwise of what the grids are going to look like um, for the major championships in 2021 and potentially if LMDH does need to be delayed in 2022 as well. I don't think those decisions are quite with us. I know I'm hearing from some of the professional race teams, uh, particularly in Europe, that um, that they are looking for budgets to be significantly reduced uh, on a global level uh, for 2021 to aid their survival uh, they're looking for that might this form a part of that well it could I have to say with one or two exceptions that i'm not ready to talk about yet i don't think you are either i'm not aware that there's a massive move towards that and away from the current current formats we've uh, we've got in international racing um but as uh, Oscar shakes himself in the background. Um, But the, for me, I think it would be a good thing. I think it would be a good thing to have that as a plan B. I think those are events that would get a lot of support. Uh, High profile, uh, profile events might be it. Um, in terms of a recovery programme for the sports internationally for at least a year or two. It is going to be enormously tough for any entity, whether it be a factory or a major privateer, to operate on a global level, not just because of the fiscal issues, but because what we expect to be probably pretty long-lasting logistical and travel restriction issues as well, well, MP. Um, Interesting to hear, you know, from... Uh, SRO about the impact that might have for instance on some of the team's plans for the IGTC moving forward so it's good to hear that kind of constructive thinking and I think as well it would be good to start to adopt uh, a kind of language right now that doesn't see that as failure but absolutely welcomes that kind of thinking as being what's required on the voyage right now You know, have we thought about this? I'd like, for instance, to hear from the FIA, stifles laugh, um, that they will put a uh, short term limitation on the requirement for certain championships to have the number of continents represented on a calendar to qualify for whether or not that's a world championship or World Cup status. I think that would be smart right now. It wouldn't be difficult to. To do it, it you know, it 's not like there' was anybody uh, putting a gun to their head saying you 've got to do that. We need to see those powers that be starting to find ways to save their customers' money it 's time for the sport right now to do something well that so far it 's not really shown that it's very uh, it 's very good at customer service. Think about the customer. Think about not just what you can get into the coffers today or this year, but getting them back next year. And for a three year program or a five year program, and that they will still be there when you want to call them and say, what about LMDH and a customer program? Let's not look back in two years time, three years time and think, if only in certain name of, you know, massive team that bit the dust, if only we'd found a way for them to keep that program alive.
0: Hey man again. Brother Graham preaching here on the Weekend Sports Cars should also take a very brief moment to say hello and thank you to one of our passionate listeners, Therese Lombardi. She is quite often sharing lovely little notes about long rides that she is taking in the car with uh Mike Lombardi the Lombardi family here and she tagged us again this morning uh, with last week's episode of the week in sports cars saying she and they are taking you and I on yet another road trip uh, with us as their audio companion. So Therese, we're recording as quickly as we can. We'll get a new episode for you for the ride back, but just want to say thank you for uh, truly just always being very kind Um, uh, among all the the rocks and, and arrows that get thrown at us. We love those, too. I love them. I'm sick in the head, but thanks again, Therese. Let me see. What else can we find uh, to throw, hurl at you? Daniel Summers Guild. Never heard of him. First time submitter for sure. Having watched the WEC races so far this year and Le Mans virtual 24-hour event, I do like the new graphics, but hashtag me personally. It is difficult to follow the race without the old horizontal ticker. Notes of the cars outside the top 18 seem neglected, especially those who need exposure for sponsors in, say, GTEM. Any thoughts on graphics in WEC um, events? I think we,
1: we've yeah, we've, it's a fair, I think we introduced choose these at the start of this season, so that would have been Silverstone last year. Um, and as I said to to listeners then, because there was some really good constructive criticism. Uh, about that package drop us a note drop it into uh, the Marshall Pruitt podcast thread or by all means drop me either a direct message or an email and I will literally hand it to the team that develops those graphics and you know I know they enjoy constructive criticism come up with a solution for them just tell them what what the impact is and why that's important think through and it certainly doesn't come across this way from Daniel, by the way, it comes across as being very constructive. Don't make it a moan. The things people like and the things people don't like, and it's not their job to respond by changing things just because an individual doesn't like it. But if you can show the reason why that doesn't perform the function, then I think that's a very constructive way of looking at it. And, you know, talking about GTM right now might be a good call. So, Drop us a line. Let me know in as few or as many words as you like. And I will literally hand it to the guys uh, who look after this at the truck when I see them, whether or not they're going to be there for Paul Rickard and the European Le Mans series, which is our first race back in, what is it, about three weeks time now, or whether or not it'll have to wait till August and the WEC meeting. Uh, we'll, we will hashtag wait and see. Uh, But I promise you right now, I will hand those over and have a conversation with the guys who literally are responsible for developing that package.
0: And figuratively, but mostly literally. (laughs) All right, I'm going to foist one more over the wall at you. There's no such thing as a barrier or barricade that could stop it from happening, Graham. This comes (laughs) from Malcolm Scopes. Love this one here. Graham, do you think... Large multi-brand manufacturers will consider running multiple LMDH programs using a single Mm -hmm. chassis. Malcolm says it seems a great opportunity to get exposure for several brands at once with what would essentially be a single car. So we would say what? A Volkswagen Audi group, for example, if they wanted to uh, nominate a single chassis supplier what do you think though about engines uh, i would have to think they might go in different directions there but what do you think about well, that
1: possibly let's look at this right so when you think about Volkswagen Audi group um i do think that is a good example of where the potential for this to be a formula not just for factories but also for moneyed customers um i think that does open some interesting possibilities Porsche have already made it clear that they are undertaking a formal um, review of this. We know that Lamborghini have been looking at it as well. We believe Audi are taking a look because, of course, they've got a very active customer sports organization under Chris Renke, who, of course, previously was the man in charge of the LMP1 program, so knows the market very well, will absolutely have the playbook. Um, in the top drawer of his desk about costs and about what the real-world impact is going to be on someone who, for instance, might be currently running a GT programme, stepping up, there is no better man to actually um, transfer that allegiance if the numbers can uh, add up. Would that be on the basis of a uh, a single chassis combination? It could be. Bear in mind, Audi and Lamborghini's... um, GT3 cars share a common drivetrain, uh, so there's every prospect of that kind of uh, groupthink, if you like, coming into play. Would Porsche want to do their own thing? Well, they on occasion have done that, uh, but the the pressures at the moment uh, on these companies is pretty severe. Would anybody else, any other group, come forward and do the same? I'm struggling to think of anybody that might. but obviously, we've got things like Renault-Nissan, but uh, the current woes of that group would tend to weigh against that being an immediate uh, possibility. Um, I can see VAG going down that road. Would they already do that? And I I can't remember, by the way, whether or not this is in another interview I've done or something I've spoken previously to on Twisk. Um, Those of our listeners that are familiar with TCR – um, and the variety of brands that uh, that uh, take part there. So you've got Cupra, which used to be the Seat brand, uh, now under its own brand, Cupra, uh, VAG brand, Audi with the RS3 um, uh, TCR car, and VW with their Golf. All three of those cars are built in the same facility by Cupra. Uh, so Audi and VW's TCR cars are built at the same facility effectively on the same production line so there is the potential for that kind of program to show some uh, some benefits from common parts supply etc etc and in the this day and age i would be very surprised indeed if that was the option that was taken by the various brand management uh, particularly in customer sport area teams that there wasn't some kind of oversight at board level that didn't initially ask and then maybe insist that any available savings were were explored uh, by going down that road. So, yes, I th- think there's every prospect that that will be, at the very least, discussed.
0: There we go. Well, it's time to choose between the two remaining categories in the okay. – 25ish minutes we have left Graham. You tell us where we're going and then we uh, go. let's
1: go. Yep. Let's go for a quick run through againer out, the general questions. We're going to start this out out uh, with uh now you're going to uh, you going to uh, pronounce Dennis's surname for me.
0: Uh Parognac? I
1: Prokniak I think. So Let... Dennis Prokniak.
0: Well, um, do you want to go with Dennis Prokniak or Nick Dovniak? Or do you, is it the all Yak start to yak, hang around? Yak. Why okay, don't you take do both?
1: Uh, I'm looking for Nick's. Where's Nick's?
0: Well, we moved him, I believe. Uh, you oh, we s- told did. me to I move. Apologize. Yes.
1: Yes, we did. Well, in fact, they're next to each other. So let's go with Nick Dovniak first, which is Will LMDH or Car Car USA allow for enough flexibility and development to allow cars to correct critical flaws that make it hard to balance. Uh, Nick is thinking to the Ligier Nissan that Mr. Brown indicated that Ed Brown was very difficult to balance and had gearbox troubles. Would a problem like uh, needing a stronger gearbox be allowed to be corrected without needing to re- every other LMP2 chassis with that part? Um, I'll speak briefly to this one. It's not just the DPI bits. That was somewhere we've had significant issues, of course, with the LMP2 um, chassis. Principally aerodynamic issues with balance and and, uh, and uh, front-end vibration for the Dallara. Uh, certainly, you're absolutely right. A bit of an aerodynamic underperformance by the Ligier, but absolutely the gearbox combination there has been a bit of a weak point. And the Orica, of course, has emerged and dominated. Uh, you any thoughts on this one, MP, before I weigh in and say what I think should happen or what will happen?
0: If we are talking about learning from history, Nick, I would have to believe the proverbial joker uh, type of approach here of, yeah, we're going to try and do new and interesting, unique things around a couple of chosen P2 chassis, make them into manufacturer-based cars, but inevitably someone's going to get something wrong. It's going to happen, right? It's just reality. When we get to LMDH, someone's going to have a problem somewhere that will require significant redo, rethink, re-whatever, I would say that I have to believe, Graham, that IMSA will provision for such a thing because it's absolutely going to happen. It always happens. So uh, that's uh, I'd like, me.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to... I'd, apologies, I've got a bit of delay here, so I, I'm sorry about crashing you. Uh, I hope we learn the lessons of very recent history uh, here because the last thing in this current climate we want is to needlessly and senselessly lose a valuable program and let's not forget no matter how much cheaper these programs are than uh the current lmp1 class this is still multi-million dollar stuff uh if, whether you're operating in wec in imsa or in both um, to needlessly lose a program for the want of a technical adjustment and in particular when you've got a balanced performance formula I think would be very short-sighted indeed. I genuinely hope that this is something that actually having the combined brains trust of IMSA and uh, the ACOWC technical guys sitting around the same table. I hope this is something that can be solved and continue to be workshopped through the life of these regulations. If, even a proportion of what you and I believe might come forward from this MP comes to fruition. That balancing process is going to be tested. There are going to be dramatically different solutions offered uh, with some of these LMDH programs and That means that the technical teams working in concert with the designers and developers of those cars, and for that matter, the operators of those cars, are going to have to work perhaps a little more hand in glove than we've been used to in recent years. Numbers, and critical numbers in particular, are going to be the thing to get LMDH launched and to get LMDH to the stage where it is healthy and we hope in future years blossoming. It can. In any normal time, it should get to the stage of blossoming. But in this instance, I do think it requires a fundamental shift in the outlook and the attitude of the rule makers. You know, they're not there to find ways for these guys not to be competitive. This is a fundamental shift for the WEC in particular in terms of balance of performance. It's not the same anymore as either of the systems that have gone before equivalence to technology. It isn't, and it most certainly isn't success handicap. So I'm hoping that what we're going to see is a fundamentally different mindset. And I think at its very best, the performance we've seen in the past from IMSA can help them on that journey. Uh, as long as the lessons of recent history for IMSA and some of the failings of balance of performance have been learned.
0: Failings of balance of performance? Yeah. Where are <laughs> you making up this nonsense? Thing. I have there told you, you to quit it with your conspiracy <laughs> theories, Goodwin. You will not listen. Oh, no. It's yeah. time out for you, I believe. Uh, all right. I'm gonna look and see. All right, we're we gonna go. T- Let's go we to the millions. T- go ahead. There's, this delay I think is this hilarious.
1: We can sports cars, but uh, sadly, only if. <laughs> should I, should I count three, two, one, and say it again?
0: <laughs> I'm well you're on timeout so i don't know why you're talking so you need another timeout for that uh why don't you take dennis uh question and then i'll scroll and see if there's any more we should do in hegeneral before moving on to fun and saying goodbye
1: not a problem dennis says he's resubmitting it again it's a hashtag resubmitting again a hashtag how dare you hashtag gt pervergence um how viable is GT3 long term? Isn't it just too expensive for what it is? Is there a chance for something more raw, more privateer friendly, cost-wise to replace GTE and perhaps GT3, or is it all too far gone with a stranglehold of large OEMs on GT Racing and two hundred thousand dollar Evo upgrade kits, somehow a necessity in bot world racing? Just me personally. Hashtag me personally. Other problems with GT3 included the downforce uh, power balance that leaves cars less powerful than their road-going siblings, To planted in corners. Uh, An EOT balancing different technologies and types of car instead of individual models, he says, would give race results some kinds of significance for constructors. There's lots more besides. I think the answer here.
0: I'm we just lost you. I just pulled the microphone, Hans. <laughs> We're keeping this. This is awesome. Yeah,
1: because I pulled. The- You've got.
0: Stop Uh, yanking your cord, Goodwin. This uh, is a family show.
1: my legs and took out the cord. Um, So uh, this is where two worlds collide, isn't it? On the one hand, as we've said earlier in the show, the inevitability seems to be, or the most viable option for uh, GT racing seems to be that some kind of convergence around GT3 in the near future seems, I think, inevitable. You then come... Roaring into what could be a one ended tunnel um, that has got the great big word cost written in six foot high white letters at the blank end. Uh, what do I mean by that? Who is going to pay for those manufacturer programs, or at least the all pro lineups? We've had that conversation on the weekend sportscast last week. And then, and I think this is where Dennis is coming from, the frankly extraordinary. Series of articles that uh, our friend and colleague Stephen Kilby produced for Delhi Sports Car. I know he's writing something up at the moment for Racer uh, as well about the cost of racing worldwide, focused on GT3 racing, particularly because it is a global formula. And the figures are astonishing. I mean, absolutely otherworldly in terms of anybody you know any ordinary joe doing an ordinary job as to what it actually costs to put these cars out remember at international level it's pretty much an entry formula uh, for gt3 but not cheap in any regard whatsoever so cost certainly is a matter of deep concern the answer to the question and it's a complicated question i think is this Is it too late to do anything other than GT3? The fact that there are thousands of these cars and so many manufacturers, customer, sports departments um, beholden to that formula, I think means that you've got to use that as a starting point. GT4 simply is not of a performance level uh, that is going to be relevant at the level of competition that we're talking about here, WC, uh, LMS. Um, the uh, Imsa WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, Asia Le Mans series, the, the, the GT4 cars do not have high enough performance. So GT3 is where it's at. Whether or not GT2 might be in the future, this is new GT2, remains to be seen. What needs to happen is there needs to be a very open conversation now about cost. What are the real world costs involved here? What is required in terms of ensuring the visibility and viability Uh, of the major championships and major race organisers, what of that is being passed on to manufacturers, what of that is being passed on to the professional race teams. That, for me, today, and in a lasting sense moving forward, not just for GT racing, but for the future of prototype racing as well, is the conversation that needs to be had. And I agree with the sentiment here um, that, you know, when we get to the stage where, Evo gets at that kind of level um, and you either buy it or, frankly, you are boxed out of uh, any kind of semblance of of competitiveness. I think the days of that uh, really have to be numbered. There has to be a better solution than that. Difficult when you're tying your racing product to an evolving road-going product. But I just think everybody involved here, the manufacturers, the organizers of those races the people that brought the real books the people who come up with the performance balancing solutions and for that matter the professional teams themselves need to come up with some solutions that are going to make this more viable in what's going to be a very different commercial uh marketplace and commercial environment for quite some time to come mp i
0: just made an executive decision graham goodwin it might be a scary one uh It takes about an hour to get through each thousand words worth of questions that are submitted. That's the general rule I've found over the years of doing this. We would be doing almost a four hour show if we tried to get through everything general in question, in particular of the question categories, my friend, uh, heck even fun. There are so many, so I think we're going to do something a little different uh, right now. And I can't promise we're going to get through all questions that were submitted this week. But I'm going to have us dive out of general and go straight into fun since that's the last category here. And why don't we try Tuesday or Wednesday to do Do the rest? I don't want to call it a part two, just a, a continuation. All the stuff we didn't get to. This time around, uh, because, well, A, it's my wife's birthday on Monday, so that's not really, not really going to work. Tuesday, we, I believe, is an l- all-day chemo day, so I'm not sure there. But there's, so, I mean, <laughs> brother, our pal Jacob Bame is wanting to know about Black Falcon's pullout from the professional GT3 competition and how it might affect Mercedes' IGTC bid. It's a great question. Uh, it's yep. so obscure, but again, love it. And we try not to always go super obscure because we don't want to have some folks going who, what, where. So why don't we do this? (laughs) Let's move. We got, you know, our pal JJ Gertler is weighing in with this and that. And so many good folks, Ed Joris who says he's been having a tough time getting his questions through lately. Um, Let's come back early next week and try and just do a get through all that we could indiscriminately Um, John D. Repeat question. Too polite and British to rant at you, Marshall. Um, Right. Lots of great stuff. Um, But, brother, we'd be here all day and we can't right now. So why don't we move to fun? Uh, I'll kick things off here from James Counter, and then we will do our best to answer as many as the remainders in a second episode next week. And who knows? Maybe it's just next week's show. Um, James says, what event surprises you with the crowd it draws? says you're not allowed to pick Le Mans or the N24.
1: Go for it. You want to get a quick crack at this one? I've got a couple of things in mind.
0: Sure. I love crack. Uh, <laughs> which one surprises me? Wow. That one's... Well, I guess a surprise could be lack of crowd as well as mm-hmm. size of crowd. Uh... We're looking at IMSA here in the good old U.S. of the A. I'd probably go local with Monterey and the fact that it just doesn't pull anything when it comes to sports cars anymore, and yet that's the, that's the track's true history. The first ever event was a sports car race. Uh, it's most famous races in terms of building it up into a thing that became world famous all sports car related it is the foundation that laguna seca was built upon and yet (sighs) crickets um when we show up Uh, here's a (laughs) it's a sad indicator and i'm not laughing because it's funny at the most successful events graham media crew you name it we're all parking on some hill somewhere. It's a walk. It's going to be a walk for sure. Events like the IMSA or when SRO and our World Challenge has been there, and they let you let you pull right on into the paddock and park because there's enough space. And it's sad. So I would just say locally here, James. When most folks, I would imagine, contemplate Laguna Seca, the corkscrew renowned international venue, really sad to know that when IMSA has come to town, uh, before that Grand Am, ALMS, even if even in its last couple of years, not much of a turnout. All you know, I was there last time, late two thousands, when it had a, a really strong turnout been a long time james and yeah i wish it wasn't the case and it makes me sad to think that really good racing has taken place there are sports cars and very few people decide to turn up
1: it's certainly tougher now than it's ever been to draw a crowd to anything i was talking to someone about just the general tone of uh, uh, you know sports audiences and pointing out i think it came from a, a feature i did some little time ago featured some contemporary pictures of, of group C racing at Brands Hatch where you know I I went to group C race at Brands Hatch and it was 20 deep at the fence everywhere around the circuit um but that was before we had shopping malls and here's the reality if in these days you know you come along you pay for parking you pay for tickets you bring a kid you bring two kids you bring your wife you bring your partner you bring uh and you're paying for those tickets and you're paying for a burger and you're paying for grandstand seats and ice cream and a hat and it turns out to be a very very expensive uh, day out indeed for most families these days it's why you know very many families when you talk to them about going to a grand prix and the vast expense that that comes to that's their quite often their one big thing of the year it does surprise me that grand prix racing still attracts the crowds it does not just because i don't think the racing's that entertaining because it's so expensive for me, the answer to, my, uh, to the question from me would go to um, a pat on the back for those circuits, those facilities that still do draw good crowds. In the UK, when we were still allowed to visit there before the noise Nazis got involved with it, uh, Castle Coombe, you could guarantee that that race meeting, usually, by the way, for British GT, would be just after Le Mans, so we might get a couple of the Le Mans uh, cars turning out for that, but always we'd be... A great weekend with really big crowds. Ulton Park, up in my homeland, the northwest of England, um, always gets good crowds for its traditional Easter dates for the British GT Championship. Um, and then you've got places like Nagaro, in, uh, in you know that that, that for very. Their- states usually gets a very good crowd the one that surprises me that does quite often get written off as getting poor crowds i don't agree paul rickard uh middle of nowhere really i mean it is you know hour plus out of Marseille. it's a couple of hours to nice um and not a huge very rural area mountainous area with not a huge um population and its immediate catchment area but people will turn out for motorsport in that uh in that area and uh uh they i think they deserve all the kind of credit in the world for just keeping their mailing lists their kind of their marketing and pr activities up to date and pulling people through the gates um anything at the nurberg ring but you kind of expect that anyway big catchment area lots of places to watch awesome viewing facilities etc etc but um it's getting tougher. It's getting tougher for people to draw those crowds. And I get the impression MP that actually some of the, the places that are doing well in the States with things like IMSA aren't necessarily the Daytonas and the Sebrings of this world, but some of the smaller facilities.
0: Hmm. Yeah. The, I I, I think it's just cultural changes and differences where you go to a VIR, you go to a lime rock and f- seemingly you can't, you can't walk because there's so mm-hmm. many people that turn up. So again, I, I wish I could explain all the reasons, but yeah, uh, really thankful for the, uh, the venues that might not be as high profile as you said, you know, castle Comb, for example. I mean, most people don't even know it exists, um, in my little country here, but it's just awesome to know that there is great support. Nonetheless, where else shall we go? on fun before we say goodbye and plan to try and cover off the rest
1: go for what let's go for one more and this comes from steve kowalczyk Uh, change one feature of any circuit in the world says steve if given the opportunity to change one one feature of any circuit in the world street circuits included what would it be corner chicane elevation change infrastructure anything hashtag me personally he's also always wanted to see a bridge over lake lloyd incorporated into the daytona road course i'm gonna let you Such take that feature it's a shame to waste it
0: that's yours graham good Right, one. let's
1: have a think about this one this, this there's the the evil genius part of me that would like to see the old banking at, at uh, Fuji still incorporated in the circuit. It is uh, one of those things where when you see it, when you see physically what was involved in that banked section of the uh, the circuit, to, to, to remind uh, any listeners that had forgotten or to inform those that didn't know, uh, Fuji Speedway initially was designed to be more or less a NASCAR banked Circuits, NASCAR-type bank circuit, but uh, they ran out of the cash. To do that, evolved uh, until 1970 um, into a road course that had a uh, very odd, hard to describe it at the end of the massive drag strip of a start-finish straight over a crest and into a banked bowl affair. Now, that banking is still there. It still exists. It's beyond the gravel trap for what I always call tricky term one. Uh, and over a roadway but uh, the thought that you would be coming over a crest the car going light and then into that banking uh and yes there were an awful lot of serious accidents there and eventually uh so serious that they decided to get rid of it um i think we've done pretty well with uh with most of the uh of the features of the international racetracks what would i change purely by being selfish about it I never attended Le Mans without the chicanes. I'd love to see, maybe, even if it were only for the Le Mans Classic or for a demonstration of something, I'd love to see, at least once, that return to its unfettered glory just to see what modern cars could do. So Le Mans, maybe not permanently, but maybe for a bit of a one-off, maybe for a demonstration for the centenary. Here's one for you, Pierre uh, that if we can have a demo uh, of some spectacular cars, Um, on the old-style Le Mans circuit, or at least part of it, uh, I think I'd love to see that. I'd love to see one of those record runs done like that.
0: I'm going to throw in something for the 100th edition that is a real thought, and I hope it happens, and it never will, but that's okay. We're going to borrow Graham from... The global rally cross concept of the Joker lap. Ooh. So, one lap per stint, team can elect to go straight at both Mulsan, both chicane <laughs> on the Mulsan. <laughs> I don't know how we do it so we don't have 900-mile-an-hour crashes of the car doing, you know, blitzing down the straight and then just wiping out cars that are taking the chicane. Haven't thought it through, like most things in life, like most (laughs) things that come out of my mouth. But we absolutely have to make this happen. Maybe, speaking of bridges, maybe there's some sort of uh, gradual left or right side depending on where the entry is to the chicane uh some sort of blow by bridge and again hopefully it's not too steeply uh ramped so that we you know sent are sending cars into outer space um but yeah that's my thought joker laps mulsanne let's see let's really see maybe there's just a mezzanine level that as you uh come out of Tete Rouge if you have to declare and then climb onto that drive up onto that mezzanine level that goes all the way down the Mulsanne. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's got to happen. Never will, but that's okay. Uh, let's close. And this is in fun. It really shouldn't be in fun, but it's okay. And this is a serious one. I'm going to throw it at you, and I know where this question comes from. This is, uh, well, I know where it comes from because I'm reading his name, but I know what inspired this. This is from our pal Right Turn Lover. So in my week in IndyCar listener, no, uh, yeah, listener Q&A show, I uh, went into a bit of a long demonstration of frustration about how IndyCar drivers in particular have, and IMSA as well, but IndyCar drivers in particular have done absolutely nothing in terms of stepping up and really being active in, um, in and amidst the social uprising and upheaval and reckoning that's been taking place all uh, in response to the murder of George Floyd and a few others here in the States. We know, Graham, that NASCAR drivers, for example, have been very active, not all. But again, the, at least there's some where we can say, aha, the, these drivers are indeed taking firm stances, trying to be responsible, think of things they can do to help contribute. The note that was delivered in my IndyCar show was, well, is that simply because NASCAR has a black driver? And do you have to have a black driver in order to feel duty bound to step up and be responsible as the NASCAR drivers are doing with Bubba Wallace uh, being a bit of a, a launching pad here to that uh, responsibility and activism. So that was a question that I posed the IndyCar show. Do we have to have, do you have to have a black driver if we're talking about something unfortunate that's happened to a black person or a woman or a name, whatever it is, do you have to have one of those people Uh, As a driver, to then be motivated. So, right turn lover's question, beautifully presented. Do IMSA or the WEC have to have a driver that is a tree to speak up about deforestation?
1: Well, well, of course you don't. I mean, I'll give you. Let me try and give you a real-world example of this one. Um, I am a fifty-something-year-old white male uh, in a middle-class career. Uh, brought up in a very working-class environment, a very working-class town. I've experienced, through my ears and my eyes, racism expressed to me, in front of me, around me, um, at times to people I don't know, at times to people I care about. And do I have a view? Of course I have a view. Do I have the opportunity to affect the behaviour I can choose to do that, can't I? I can choose to say to that person that I either know or I don't, who is exhibiting those, frankly, utterly hateful um, words or doings, I can choose to object. I can choose to intervene. I can choose to express myself. And to my mind, if you have a platform, if you have a following, that increases the weight of the words that you choose to say, or the actions you choose to push forward. I've watched with, frankly, some complete horror. Um, look, it, it doesn't matter whether or not you're a fan or otherwise of Lewis Hamilton. It doesn't matter whether or not you're a fan of Lewis Hamilton. I happen to think he's one of the most talented racing drivers in any discipline ever. Um, but it doesn't matter. Fact of the matter is, millions of people know who Lewis Hamilton is, know what he's achieved, and certainly, visibly, will be aware of his heritage. Um, Should Lewis be quiet because people might not like to hear those things or people might object to the fact that he's not a politician and saying those things? No, of course not. He's got a very relevant point of view. He will have seen and experienced those things Um, uh, in his family. There's uh, mixed-race relationships in his family. Of course there are. And I'm sure in many instances, if anything, you'll get more of that hatefulness that society seems to have normalised down through uh, decades and decades and centuries and centuries. Uh, I think it's almost a duty for people to speak up for things that they disagree with. It doesn't matter whether or not you're directly... Uh, impacted by it. Offer your point of view. Offer facts. Offer opinion if that's what's required. Let's have debate. Let's try and steer away from argument. Let's make statements about where we stand. Let's put a, a a flag in the sand and say, actually no, I don't agree with you. And this is why I don't agree with you. And please come and let's talk about this disagreement. And let's not offer hatefulness and argument. Um I have had conversations with racing drivers, young and old, or young and older, um, about these very subjects. And I have to tell you that 99% of the time, I've been impressed with the, the way in which their feelings have been actually expressed, um, the, uh, the thoughtfulness in terms of the effects of those behaviors on their fellow men and women around them. And on the odd occasion, Yes, I've uh, encountered the odd races are. Asshole, to be honest with you, Um, and feel as if I've had. How can I put this? The gumption, the guts to basically say, I don't agree with you. And this is why I don't agree with you. And this is why. Let's not go down the road of. This is my view, your view is wrong. Present fact, present reality, present the way in which that's impacting on people around you who are, let's face it, forget everything else, just other human beings. And yes, if you feel as if you've got a point of view and you feel as if you've got an opportunity to express it and you feel as if there's that moment and that relevance and that audience and the opportunity to explain and to put that that flag in the sand again as as I say, then of course you should do it. You know, I mean, there's so many things that I express myself on on a day-to-day basis, whether or not it's in my relationship with Trudy, whether or not it's with friends, whether or not it's on this podcast, whether or not it's on TV or in writing, that I may not have direct experience of, but I do have a point of view. And, you know, as you and I have talked long and often, MP, um, that, that both of us do tend to deal in analysis by the judicious use of fact. And that's where I like to think that some of these guys and girls can actually contribute and contribute heavily to the debates that we're having now. I don't want it to be a kind of woke um, issue. I don't want to get to the stage where we're throwing around labels of, you know, quite why the word liberal, or for that matter, the word conservative became an insult. I don't understand that, that frame of mind. I don't like having something thrown at me um, to insult me with or to insult other people with that is just the basis of a disagreement in terms of political outlook. It's nonsense. Time to stop and time to use the people we've got with a position to influence the people around them to maybe just think again about some of those basic attitudes. And yes, um, without it being thrust down people's throats, I'm keen to hear what people in positions of influence actually think and some relevant actions that they and others can take moving forward with it i think it's got we, we need to get away from this being a war of words and into doing something which i'm afraid as a civilization we seem to have forgotten in recent years and that's we need to start thinking about debate and discussion and not argument again that's what's wrong that for me is all that's wrong and I think there's more reasonable people out there than hateful people fingers crossed that some of our friends and colleagues in this industry can unlock some of that
0: alright Graham I'm going to say goodbye this time to you to our dear listeners we're going to do our best to get to all the ones we didn't to didn't to alright I'm just going to use whatever words even if they don't make syntax sense thanks to you (laughs) thanks to Cooper Tires Justice Brothers thanks to them as well torontomotorsports.com dailysportscar.com Bell Racing Helmets USA are awesome listeners Uh, bit of a jumbled episode this week Uh, we didn't always have stuff in the right categories but you know we're going to go category free next episode and just start going so I have been Marshall Pruitt that has been Graham Goodwin we have cat staring out the window we have a husky there and a crow speak to you in a couple days